Friends, I want you to imagine, if you will, that this week, after the meeting of the National Cabinet, the Prime Minister holds his press conference and says something like this, the National Cabinet has unanimously decided that we want everyone in the country to turn to the God of the Bible in prayer and to beg his forgiveness for our failure to obey him and our failure to live his way. Can you imagine that? Because I can't. It's way too impossible. That would be like a miracle, wouldn't it? But that is what happens to the city of Nineveh back in Jonah's day. The ruling nation of the day. The great world power. The Assyrians were well known in the ancient world for their brutality. One of their rulers used to tear the lips and the hands off his victims. And another was known for skinning people alive. We're looking at Jonah chapter 3 today. And you remember that Jonah gets this mission from God to go to Nineveh and to preach judgment against it. But Jonah refuses, tries to run away, uh, gets thrown overboard on the ship that he's escaping from and uh, gets swallowed by a large fish. And he realises his mistake while in the stomach of this large fish, apologises to God, calls out to God for mercy. And at the end of chapter 2, the fish vomits him on the dry land. He's rescued. And then we get these words. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now Jonah might have thought that he'd he'd escaped the mission, but God's plans don't get sidetracked. The message hasn't really changed either. Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them what I tell you to tell them. And this time Jonah goes. He might have gone reluctantly, but he obeys. His prayer to God in the belly of the fish is not just words, it's not just hot air. There are actions to back up those words, and that's what repentance is all about. It's not just being sorry. You can be sorry and do nothing. But true repentance leads to changes. And so Jonah makes his way to Nineveh, and the message from God is this. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And we're told it took three days to go right through the city of Nineveh. And now archaeology tells us that the city itself was about 12 to 13 kilometres in circumference, a circle of about four kilometres diameter. Chapter 4 tells us there were 120,000 people in Nineveh. And that doesn't seem to gel, does it? But it's probable that the writer is talking about what we would call Greater Nineveh, Nineveh and surrounding suburbs or even surrounding small towns and cities. And so Jonah walks into that region and starts preaching that God is going to destroy Nineveh in 40 days because of their wickedness. And this is not just a warning of coming doom, like someone might forecast a recession, for instance. No, it's a warning of judgment from God. The coming doom is being brought by God as a judgment for their wickedness. God's about to punish them. It's the message that God told Jonah to proclaim back in chapter 1, isn't it? Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, folks, 
In the original language, it's a five-word summary of the sermon. And talk about hellfire and brimstone. You know, today preachers are encouraged to be positive and to steer away from talk of judgment. Even in our explanation of the Christian message, what we call the gospel, we're told to be positive, to talk of the love of God and downplay the judgment of God. And that might be a wise thing to do in some occasions. Uh, but some Christians have even abandoned any idea of God's judgment at all and explain away any talk in the Bible of judgment day and hell. Jonah preaches God's judgment. Why? Because that's the message he's been given to preach. That must have taken enormous courage. And miracle of miracles... The message actually strikes home. Verse 5 says, The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And what's more, the king of Nineveh gets it. He announces that he wants the whole nation to repent of their ways and turn to God. I quote, When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. <coughs> it's hard to believe, isn't it? The whole city, we're told, from the greatest to the least, repents. Firstly, it says they believed God. You notice that? It doesn't say they believed Jonah. They believed God. And so they recognise that Jonah's message is from God. It's God's message. And that's an extraordinary thing. A foreigner comes into their city proclaiming a message of judgement from a God they don't believe in and they believe. It's as though that scenario I asked you to imagine of the National Cabinet asking the whole nation to pray and turn back to God it's as though that was effective and every person in Sydney, every person in the nation of Australia asked God's forgiveness for ignoring him and not living his way. Unprecedented. Unbelievable, really. It, it's not believable, is it? It's as unbelievable as a man surviving in the stomach of a fish for three days or a man rising from the dead. Just not possible. And that is the point here in the book of Jonah. This is a miracle. There's no other explanation than that God has done something incredible and he's done it in the most unbelievable way. But there's more. The people put on sackcloth and the king sits in the dust. Sackcloth was the clothing of the poorest of the poor. It was the cheapest and nastiest cloth available. It was and still is incredibly uncomfortable 
If you've ever seen a potato sack, for instance, it was a symbol of humiliation. As was sitting in the dust, the king, with all of his wealth and his splendour and his power and his pomp, sitting in the dirt. Friends, repentance, true repentance, will always involve voluntary humiliation. Because it requires an acknowledgement that God is right and I am wrong. That God calls the shots and I don't. And that is maybe the biggest hurdle to anyone becoming a follower of Jesus. Because in our world, humility is not seen as a virtue. Oh, we will take on religion, but it has to be on our terms. In fact, I balked at even using the word humiliation because I thought it might be too strong a word. It has too many negative undertones and that it would put people off because no one likes to be humiliated. The thought of humiliation is just so foreign to us. But to become a follower of Jesus... We don't need to be humiliated by someone or anyone. We need to humiliate ourselves because that's what repentance takes. By that, it is saying, I mean, it's saying that that I'm saying to God, God, I've been wrong. God, I'm sorry. I need to change and you need to change me. And that, you see, is humiliating, is it not? And if you're not prepared to do that before God Almighty, then you cannot join his kingdom. Like the people of Nineveh, like Jonah in the belly of the fish, we need to be sorry for our failure to honour God and we need to apologise. And that is humiliating. The king's decree says... Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. See, repentance requires a change in behaviour, a new way of living. In the belly of the fish, Jonah repents, and we can see it in his changed behaviour. He now obeys God. He might do it reluctantly, and he might not think it's in his best interest to obey God, but he does. The Ninevites repent. They act in ways that show they're not just talking hot air. And look how the king's decree ends. He says, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Now we don't know whether Jonah preached about God's mercy and forgiveness along with the proclamation of judgment, but here in his decree, the king catches a glimpse of the only way out of their predicament, the mercy of God. The writer says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Does God change his mind? Some other translations, some of the older ones, put it that God repents. No. God doesn't make mistakes. God relents because the change in people's attitudes 
now require a different response from God than their previous behaviour did. God changes his mind not because things have caught him unaware, caught him off guard, because he always plans that repentance and faith will get a different response from him than if there is no repentance and faith. The book of Jonah is one of those books of the Bible that sceptics and atheists and even some religious, religious leaders like to point out to show how the Bible cannot be trusted. It's not reliable because it's just too unbelievable. Surviving in the belly of a fish for three days, impossible. A whole city of 200,000 souls turning to God in repentance and faith, impossible. But that's the point of the whole book. God is at work in all of this. God uses his message through Jonah to change people. Jonah doesn't change them. God does through his message. That's the point the writer is making in verse 5. The Ninevites believed God, he says. Because, friends, it's God's message that has the power. That's what St. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 8. Sorry, in chapter 1, verse 16, many centuries later. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. The gospel. Since the coming of Jesus, the message that changes people is called the gospel. The good news. That is what has the power to change people. That is how God was able to have mercy on Nineveh and on Jonah. His son was going to later on die to save them from the judgment and the wrath of God. Friends, we should never shy away from sharing the message of God found in the Bible. We don't need to change it. We don't need to make it acceptable to people. We don't need to leave the unacceptable bits out. God will do what he wants with his message. So the Bible says that God's righteous and holy anger, his righteous and holy anger, is coming on all human beings, all human beings, who ignore him and do not accept his offer of forgiveness through Jesus. There will be a day of reckoning. A day of judgment. But to all who will humble themselves, repent and really put their trust in the good news about Jesus, there is forgiveness and cleansing and a new life. Jesus died in our place. It's as though the list of crimes he was put to death for were our sins against God and against others. He died in our place for us. He also defeated the power of death. God commands everyone everywhere to repent and to put their trust in Jesus' death for them, to be saved from the day of judgment. It requires three things to happen. The three things that we see in the book of Jonah. It requires, firstly, sorrow for sin. It requires, secondly, repentance. 
a desire for God to change my life to follow him. And thirdly, it requires a calling out to God for mercy. The difference between us and the people of Nineveh is that we know now about Jesus' death that makes God's forgiveness and the new life possible. Three things. Are you sorry for ignoring God and wronging others? Are you sorry for your sin? Secondly, do you repent of those things? Do you want to turn away from them and change? Then if you call out to God in mercy for forgiveness, trusting that Jesus' death makes it all possible, then you will be saved. Sorrow for sin, repentance, calling out to God's mercy shown to us in Jesus. Friends, if those first two, sorrow for sin and repentance, are true for you, then pray with me as we call out to the God of mercy that he will forgive us as he's promised in Jesus. So I'm going to pray right now. If that is true of you, if the message of, of the good news about Jesus, of God's forgiveness if we repent and turn to him, if that message has found a landing port in your heart, then please join me in this prayer. I'll pray and I'll leave a gap for you to make it your own in your mind. God, I am sorry that I have not treated you or others as I ought. I want to change. Please change my heart so that I will want to honour you and love others. Please forgive me. I am trusting Jesus' death in my place to take away your righteous judgment. Amen. Friends, if you've just prayed with me, I want to encourage you. Because the Bible says that the angels are rejoicing in heaven every time even just one person turns back to God. It's a cause for celebration. All of heaven is rejoicing, so be encouraged. And we'd love to support you in taking those next steps with God. After the surface, uh, simply go to our website and let us know at meniangliconorg slash support. We'll put that link in the comments section at the end of the service for you. And you can use that to get in touch with us as well. We'd love to hear from you and encourage you. And if you're not quite there yet, but you've got questions about Christianity or about the Bible or if something's come up for you in today's talk, or if you're doing it tough at the moment, and you'd like someone just to talk it through with, please use that link. Get in touch with us because we'd love to help in any way we can.